This is A is for Adversity, a podcast about curating your life stories to connect more deeply with others. Some stories may have Christian undertones, and all stories will involve a realization or transformation of some sort. I'm your host, Jen Banks. This is episode S, Show, Don't Tell. I am so excited to share with you the stories from my live storytelling show last week. But before that, just a quick reminder that the sponsor for this month is Temple Flakes. The owners are offering 20% off your order using the code ADVERSITY. Take advantage of this for sure. Each Temple Flake is only $5 and with this code, you'll get $1 off. You can find out more about them by visiting their website, templeflakes.com, or on social media. I am so glad I was able to record these stories so I can share them with you. And I apologize because the quality of the audio is not super great, but it's pretty good. This episode is just a small sample of what it would be like to be there in person. If you enjoy this, please let me know and I'll see about coming to your city in Utah to do a live show. The next one I plan to do is in the spring, and I have a lot of family and friends in Springville, Utah, so I'm looking at doing it there. I didn't record any of the commentary that I used as the MC between each speaker, mostly to keep the episode pretty short. There are five storytellers. First will be Cody Glad, next Rayleigh Tarr, then Marcus Tarr, then me, Jen Banks, and finally McKay Hatch. Enjoy! So there I sat my little five-year-old hands gripping a crayon as hard as I could, scribbling furiously on the paper, trying to get my ideas down on the page. Finally, I looked at it. It was all done. So I walked over to my dad and I gave him the picture. I said, how about this one? He looked down at my picture of the jetpack and said, hmm, you might not want to have the fire going on the guy's legs. Other than that, it looks pretty good. I said, okay, I can fix this. Took it back from him and ran back to my room to fix my drawing. Ever since I was little, I always wanted to be an inventor. I thought that would be the coolest thing in the world, to just be able to dream something up and then make it. And you can make whatever you want. Make things that fly you to school instead of walking. Make things that turn off your lights so you don't have to get up to turn off your lights after you're done reading at night. Things like that. And I found out the perfect amount of time that it took for my dad to forget what I asked for. It was 10 minutes. So I would go up to my dad. Hey, dad. Where are the extra sheets? He said, oh, up in the linen closet. Wait 10 minutes. Hey, Dad, um, where's the yarn? Oh, it's up in the craft cabinet. Then I'd wait 10 more minutes. Next. Hey, Dad, uh, where's the masking tape? It's up in the arts and crafts cabinet. Starting to get suspicious, so I waited 12 minutes. (laughs) Next, I went over to him. Hey, Dad, um, where's the ladder? Now, I knew this one was going to be kind of a stretch, but... And it was. He looked at me and says, why do you need the ladder? You're 10 years old. And I said, you know, I just got to get up on the roof, you know, do some stuff. (laughs) And he looked at me and says, why are you getting up on the roof? I'm just going to jump off, you know. Made a parachute, got to test it out. (laughs) He's off the roof. I said, yeah, well, it didn't work lower, so obviously I have to go higher. (laughs) Yeah, he didn't let me jump off the roof. But that is what I love to do, just having an idea, and then going and making it. And that was all sort of ruined. Um, When I was 12 years old, I was a Boy Scout, and we were doing the economics merit badge. Um, 
And for the Economics Merit Badge, you had to plan out a lot of things in your life. One of the things they wanted you to plan out was what you wanted to do with your life. Now, I didn't know what I wanted to do because I was 12, but I liked making things. So I go to the Merit Badge, and the guy is asking around the other kids what they want to do, and he finally gets to me. He says, Cody, what do you want to do when you grow up? I said, I'm going to be an inventor. Like, easiest thing in the world, obviously. And he looks at me with a stern expression on his face. He says, inventors don't exist. Choose something more realistic, and I want to hear about it next week. And I'm like, okay. Yeah! <laughs> That's naughty. <laughs> uh, so I don't remember what I told him. I remember I thought long and hard about it, and I told him something the next week, and he was happy with it, and I got the mirror badge. But it sort of uh, derailed my dreams. This was the thing that I always wanted to do. And now, I couldn't do it. I mean, obviously they weren't real, so I had to pick something else. So I sort of went through junior high and high school not really knowing what I wanted to do. I tried a whole bunch of different things. I tried sociology, that was cool. I tried psychology, that was fun. I tried video editing, video editing was really cool. But like none of these things I really saw myself doing forever. So I kept studying, but didn't really pick up things like I should. I didn't really have the passion for any of those things. Um, so one day I went to my guidance counselor, and I said, hey, yeah, I just feel sort of like lost and without purpose. She was like, oh, all kids your age feel that. You're fine. And I'm like, no, 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 this is different. Um, is there something that you can do to help me? I just need to know what I want to do. I can't figure it out. She said, yeah, sure. You can take an aptitude test. Uh, now, an aptitude test doesn't really tell you what you're going to do, but it tells you what you're good at doing. And so I decided, like, okay, I got 100% staked on this. Like, whatever it says to do, boom, I'm going to do it. It'll be fine. Like, I, I didn't find anything else I loved, so if I wasn't going to love anything, I would just do what I'm good at. So I took the aptitude test, and I remember getting it back and looking down through the scores, and it rates each other in relative to one another, okay? So, like, it'll say, you're much better at this than this. I'm looking down on the scores, and I got even on everything. And I was like, hmm. It doesn't look great. So I went and met with my guidance counselor. She was all excited to tell me this. She's like, well, I got your scores back. Yeah, and? You can be whatever you want. <laughs> I'm like, ugh. She was so excited to tell me I could be whatever. That's not what I wanted to hear. I just wanted, like, even if it said, like, dairy farmer, that's what you're going to be. I'd be like, cool, let's go milk some cows. But, like, <laughs> that didn't happen. So I graduated high school, still not really knowing what I wanted to do, which is fine. I mean, lots of people do that. But I wanted to do something special. And I knew that just sort of floating along, I wouldn't really get to somewhere special. So I took a couple of tours of college. I decided I was going to go to college. Um, and at one of the tours, there was a tour guide that asked me at the beginning what I wanted to major in. And I had this weird habit at the time. Whenever somebody asked me a question I didn't know, and I say, I don't know, magic. So like, you're like, hey, how does a car work? You're like, I don't know, magic. How does an airplane fly up in the sky? You're like, I don't know, magic. Where do babies come from? You're like, I don't know, magic. <laughs> <laughs> so this poor tour guide who has me on the tour and really wants to recruit me to this college, it's like, what do you want to major in? I'm like, I don't know, magic. <laughs> so she thinks really hard. She's like, hmm. I'm not sure if that's social studies or performing arts, so we'll go tour them both. <laughs> I wasn't interested in social studies and arts, but it was a cool enough college, so I decided to go there. And my first year in college, um, you take a whole bunch of different generals. So I took like sociology again, 
which was kind of cool. It was like a recurring trend in my life. Um, I took world literature, took math. I hated math. I wasn't going to do math. Um, and I had one credit free, so I took a general engineering class. I didn't know anything about engineers except for they did math, and I hated math, so I wasn't going to do math. Um, and in the engineering course, they talked about lots of different engineering disciplines. There's like mechanical, there's chemical, there's uh, electrical, there's civil, and they just talked about the math they did. I was like, that's cool. Like, this is a fine credit, but I'm not going to do math. Like, no. And then at the end of the semester, we did an egg drop competition. Now, I'm not good at egg drops, but I'm good at winning competitions. <laughs> so I decided I was going to win this. I got a team together, and we met way more often than we should have. And we worked on it like weekends. And honestly, the other teams like, didn't put in very much effort. But we were going to win this thing. <laughs> um, and the requirements were really, really strict. You had like half an inch around the egg. And it had to be dropped from three stories. And we figured out a plan. We figured out a way that it worked. But it only worked 60% of the time. But we're like, that's as good as we're going to get. <laughs> Let's ship it. So uh, I still remember standing at the top of the roof, holding this thing and being like, I don't know if this is going to be 60 or 40%, but let's see what happens. So you just sort of throw it off the roof, and then it goes down. And it's, it's kind of anticlimactic. It just goes, like, woo, let's go see what happens. <laughs> so we're opening this thing back up. And there was a lot of layers. We'd get through all the layers. And our egg didn't crack. We were the only team in the whole class that it didn't crack. Now, our teacher was kind of upset about this. <laughs> um, <laughs> She was going to have this be a learning experience where it's like, well, you know, that's why you need to put in the work, and some things are kind of hard, so you've got to work harder. But she was just like, well, well, that was kind of cool, so here's a prize or something. Um, and that's where I realized, you know, engineering, although it has math, it isn't about math. It's about solving problems and making things to make the world a better place, which sounds a lot like inventing. Um, so, you know, I had to take a bunch of math, and it sucked. Math sucks. I still don't like math. And I do a lot of math every day. But it's fine because I found my dream. I could be an inventor. I could have these crazy ideas and go out and make them and then have it be a real thing. That's awesome. Um, I'm now currently in, involved in medical device engineering. And I love it because I'm able to make things that are helping make people better, make people happier, make people healthier. Um, and it's awesome. It's, it's been a long, bumpy road. Like, honestly, it wasn't easy. When I was going through school, like, once a semester, I would always have a breakdown and be like, I can't do this. I'm going to go be an art major. Like, <laughs> painting is going to be so much easier than this, even though I can't paint. But, uh, yeah, like, it was worth it. Um, there's a saying that they have in video game development that's follow the fun. Like, if you have a plan, but you find something that's more fun, you're like, no, let's go with that. You sort of throw out your plan so that you can find the most fun thing. And I think that's an excellent strategy to have in life. Not to follow fun, because fun doesn't last, but to follow joy. Follow the things that bring you lasting happiness, even when the road isn't easy. Even when you have to do math almost every day, <laughs> worth it. And that's my story. Thank you, guys. I could feel my face turning bright red as the boys in the corner laughed at me. I was reading a book in our class um, at grade school, and I got stuck on a word. I was trying to sound it out, but I couldn't. It was too hard. As the laughing and mocking continued, finally the teacher shut them up. Don't you guys have any respect? She scolded. My 
face turned so red and I just sunk into my chair wishing in that moment I had the power to make myself disappear. I didn't look anyone in the eyes. I knew that if I did, they'd see right through me. Later that day, I climbed up to my top bunk bed, laid my head on the pillow that my mother had made for me, and cried. How could they be so cruel? But being made fun of because I'm dyslexic was nothing new. Um, sometimes my, even my, my own family would make fun of me, saying, Rayleigh, you are so behind. You are never going to get caught up. Why are you even trying? And the thing is, is I knew they were right. My worth was minimal. However, with everything that I was going through as a kid, I did have something to look forward to. Christmas was right around the corner, and I knew that it was going to be exciting, even though I knew we weren't going to get Christmas presents that year. I am the second oldest of 10 kids, and my parents worked very hard just to make ends meet. And so I was hoping that there'd be something in my stocking, but if not, I knew that my mother would be making something delicious for Christmas dinner, and all of our needs would be met. At 6 a.m. on Christmas morning, I woke to my little sister screaming with excitement, Christmas is here! I threw my blankets off and ran down the hallway to our big family room where we gathered for family prayer. And right in front of my eyes was the most beautiful Christmas tree I had ever seen. It was illuminating with light. There was blues and greens and yellows. It was like the entire room was filled with magic. My little siblings in the corner were already picking, peeking through their stockings to see what new goodies they got. And underneath the tree, there were a few carefully wrapped Christmas presents with a name on each one. What a Christmas miracle. Um, the room was filled with warmth, love, and excitement. Nothing could have made this any better. Then, out of the corner of my eye, I saw something else that was shiny. I came a little closer, and my mouth dropped open. There, on the chair that was over by the Christmas tree was the most beautiful princess dress I had ever seen. Uh, and it had my name on it. I picked it up and I held it next to me and twirled around. It made me feel like a princess. Was this really mine? <sighs> For the first time in a very long time, I felt beautiful inside and out. My parents worked so hard so they could make something so wonderful for us that Christmas. However, little do they know that it was a lot more than that. Um, that dress was the start of me gaining my confidence back. I eventually became a better reader, and I started to learn my true worth. I learned that with or without the dress, I am a daughter of God, and I have infinite worth. Yes, I'm dyslexic. Yes, I was bullied as a child, but that does not define me. Through my experiences serving a mission, traveling all over the world, holding little orphans in West Africa, and building a business, it's been amazing. I've been able to build my confidence, and 
I've been able to help others to do the same. We all have challenges, either seen or unseen, but those do not define us. And that needs to be celebrated. Thank you. A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in my living room at our desk, and I got a text from my mom, and it made my stomach do a somersault. A couple, a couple months prior, um, she had invited my wife and I to go to Disneyland with her and my family. And we were, we were really excited because we were gone doing summer sales and we hadn't seen them in months. And we thought this would be an awesome opportunity as we got home to reconnect. And I hadn't been in 10 years either. So super ecstatic. So we made all the arrangements. We got tickets, uh, flights, hotels, um, and park reservations. So you, with COVID, now you need a ticket and a reservation for that day. So fast forward, here, here I am. Um, this is the day before where we're going to leave to on our trip. And she texts me. The, the first, first text message was, hey, bud, just want to make sure you've downloaded the Disneyland app and linked your tickets. And I said, well, I didn't know I needed to download an app. Okay. So I downloaded the app. And then the next, the next tech, text that she sent was the one. She said, just to make sure you guys have made park reservations, right? I was like, yeah, I thought we did that a couple months ago, sure. Um, but now she's putting doubt in my mind, of course. So I have to go and hurry and log, uh, so I log in, um, and the tickets are there. And I, I go and click current reservations, and there's nothing. This is the day before, remember. So frantically, you know, jump on the website, you know, park reservations, and there's none available. You have to get those far in advance, you know. Okay, next step is customer support. Let's chat with them. <laughs> customer support, you know, here's, my, here's our situation. Is there anything you can do? And no, nothing. I even ask, is there any exceptions? <laughs> nope. No exceptions. Well, well, I finally break the news to my wife and to my mom, and we're disappointed. I'm really frustrated. I thought I had made them, but I guess something didn't work out. So... Uh, then the deliberating starts happening. You know, we, it's the day before. It, you can't. Tickets are non-refundable to Disneyland. It's too late to cancel the hotel. So we're we're like, do we just do we just still go and you know explore California for a few days and kind of awkwardly have my family there and us just do our own thing? Um, <clears throat> so we were debating whether going at all or just like you know re replanning the trip. So um, later that evening, get a, get another text from my mom and she says, hey. Um, this is from one of my friends who's a Disneyland, you know, avid Disneyland goer. Apparently there's a Facebook page, Disneyland Tips and Tricks. Okay? Should have checked that. Um, <laughs> someone had said on there, hey, we, uh, our family was here, my brother's family was with us, and they, they didn't make park reservations, but they were able to let his family in because we had reservations. So we thought, hmm, well, let's try it. <laughs> so we jump on the plane the next day. We're, we're flying, and we get to, you know, uh, California, and the next morning, we get in, you know, go with my family, and we're going to try this. So we, we get in line. If you guys ever, if anyone's ever been, you, you have this big open area. To the right is Disneyland, left is California Adventure. We're going to start in California Adventure today. So we get, there's, there's about 20, 20 lines that you can get in. And so we're, we're standing there, and we're, we're trying to find the shortest one, but we're also trying to look ahead to, to trying to find the, the nicest looking um, attendant at the booth that will hopefully have some mercy on us in our situation. Um, so, we're, you know, we're inching, inching forward, and 
<laughs> in our minds, we, we don't know if the next few minutes are going to turn into Disneyland with the family <clears throat> or our own California adventure. Um, <clears throat> so we, we, we pick a line, and we, we look ahead, and there's, there's this really nice old lady, white hair, very short. She's probably in her 70s. And I, I say, well, she's probably going to be re really nice or really mean, because that's usually how old people are, one way or the other. <laughs> Um, so, you know, <laughs> get up to the front of the line, we're, we're strategizing, my family's going to go first, okay, so they can see that they're, they're good, they have reservations, and then my wife and they are going to come next. Um, so they get in fine, you know, scan the barcode, red, red, no reservation, did you make reservations? And I honestly had to say, yeah, I, I thought I did, okay, because <laughs> I did think that I did, okay. Um, and, you know, she, she does a couple things, she can't figure it out, okay, you guys step aside, you know, we'll let other people get in. Um, she calls over manager. So the manager walks up and does a couple things on her, you know, handheld device, and you know, go through the same process. We don't, we don't have any emails. We don't have anything like that. So she says, "Well, um, okay, here, here's what I'll do." And she's feeling for us a little bit. I'll, I can get you guys into the park today, but for the next two days that you have tickets, you're gonna have to make reservations. Well, of course, they were full, so we, we were very grateful. We thank you so much. Um, we have tickets for three days and they're all, they're all full. Is there anything else you can do? We don't want to have these tickets go to waste. So she says, well, you can go talk to these people at the blue tent over there. They may be able to help you. Okay, this is where our anxiety is the most intense. So we go over to these tents and um, they, they direct us into this building next, to, next door. It's called the Chamber of Commerce. Very fancy. There's this man in there, very professional looking behind his computer. Um, one more time, hey, our family's here. We thought we had reservations. They're waiting for us. Is there anything you can do? Um, and he doesn't really give us much. You know, he hears our situation out and looks at his computer and just starts typing away. And we're waiting. And Rayleigh's there kind of trying to sweet talk him a little bit. <laughs> Thank you so much for your help. I really appreciate it. Um, <laughs> and so we're waiting for a couple minutes and... At the end of a few minutes, um, he said, told us to check our email, and I pulled it up, and there are three reservations for the next three days in, in both parks. And <laughs> I, uh, so I believe in, in the goodness of people, and I believe in the magic of Disney. And um, oftentimes, I, I tend to focus on problems uh, rather than solutions. And I know if we focus on solutions and work with people, when the system tells us no, we can often find a way, and people generally um, can help you to, to figure it out. Thank you. I'm driving down the road with a car full of people. Two of them are my roommates, whom I just met a week ago, and the other two are some random guys. My roommates are some of the most social people I've ever met, so it's not unusual to have random strangers show up in your apartment, your car, at lunch. And we're driving to LeBeau's, a famous burger place in Logan, Utah. And I enter a construction zone. And all of a sudden, from the back seat, I hear, be careful, Finesse Dublay. In my head, I'm like, what? Finesse Dublay? Fines double? Who invited this kid? <laughs> I look at my rearview mirror at random kid number two. And we get to the burger joint, and he makes another weird comment. He says... Be sure to use a condiment for safe eating. Uh, 
there's some witty wordplay going on here, and this kid's pretty weird. But they say that you may your lifelong friends in college, so maybe this guy will be one of them. I'm the most popular person. Not because I'm actually popular, but because I'm the one with the car. So we all get back into my car, and it's a white Geo Metro, and we are squoze in there like a pressurized can of biscuits. <laughs> we get back to my apartment, and later that weekend, we have a game night. My roommates again invite the whole apartment complex, and we have a game night on a two and a half lounge, and we call it that because it's in between the second and the third floor of the building. And this random kid is there again, but I'm just glad that I'm not alone with him because that would be awkward. <laughs> There's all these other people around to talk to. A few weeks later, though, we are alone together. He and I walk home alone from campus together. And it's about a 15-minute walk back to my apartment. We, we walk up the stairs, and we've only been in my apartment for a few minutes when he turns to me and says, oh, yeah, hey, Jen, do you want to go on a date with me? I say, um, okay, Jared, I'll go on a date with you. <laughs> in my head, I'm thinking, really? We were just alone for 15 minutes. Couldn't he have asked me then? We walked past some empty tennis courts. Not a soul in sight. That would have been a great time. We walked past the fine arts building. No one was around. We'd even talked about how we both liked music. That would have been a great time. And I don't know, even on the stairwell on the way back up to my apartment. Not a soul in sight. Would have been a great chance. But no. He instead asks me in front of seven human beings, three half-eaten pizzas, a TV that's on, and a goldfish. <laughs> Maybe it's because he thinks if he asks in front of all these people, I can't say no. <laughs> but I can say no. I don't date nerds like Jared. I'm looking for tall, dark, and handsome. <laughs> Not short, blonde-haired, and blue-eyed. So... Or maybe he's just clueless, you know, maybe he doesn't really know how to ask girls on dates. But either way, I've already said yes, I'll just go as a friend, it's okay. So he picks me up on Friday and I find out that it's a double date. I relax and realize, you know, this will be purely platonic. No hand-holding, no kiss goodnight, we're safe, we're good. So a few months later, the semester ends and I figure I probably won't ever see Jared again. It was a good friendship, but he's off on to a mission in the Philippines and I stay at Utah State to study elementary education. Two years later, he comes back to Utah State, and I'm there too, and we reconnect. He asks me if we want to start donating plasma. I think, uh, I really hope this isn't another one of his date ideas, because <laughs> if they are, they're seriously declining. First, it was a double date, then an occasional postcard letter from the Philippines, and now selling our bodies for money. <laughs> so... We donate regularly, and again, I'm the one with the car, so I take him, and we go. And it's a pretty good side gig. One particular Thursday, we walk into the lobby, and it's pretty empty, which is a good sign, because usually it's packed, and you have to wait twice the time, and you still get the same amount of money. But we get screened pretty fast. I answer all the questions that I could answer in my sleep. You know, have you been out of the country? Have you donated blood in the past few years or days, months. Anyway, obviously I don't remember them now. But um, And then I go back to the donation floor. It's always very cold back there, so I have a jacket. A uh, phlebotomist leads me to a chair. He's tall, dark, and handsome. And uh, I sit down in the chair, and 
as he's putting in my IV, he gives me a compliment. He says, ooh, you have nice veins. I say, thank you. <laughs> Very weird. And then um, I had to take my jacket off for the IV, but I put it back on, you know, as a blanket because, again, it's freezing in there. And I get to the end of my cycle, and Jared's already done. I have to do an extra step, which is getting saline just because of my weight. And so that's extra cold because it's room temperature fluid going into your room, your body temperature body, so it feels really cold. And you just feel it going through your veins. It's kind of weird. And then I go and drink my required Powerade. Jared's already cleared to go, but I, uh, he waits for me. And we walk out into the warm summer day. All of a sudden, my phone rings, and I look at it, and it's my mom. So I fill her in on the minutiae of the day. We've gotten back to my car at this point, but my car doesn't have AC. So Jared waits in the back. He, he's just leaning on the trunk. I go inside because I'm still trying to warm up from the donating. So I, I go inside and just talk to my mom for a while. I glance in my rearview mirror, and I see that Jared's teetering. Got to go, Mom. I throw the phone. Don't even care where it lands or if it breaks. And I race back to the back of the car. As I'm looking at Jared, I think, oh, what's happening? My palms are sweating. My heart is racing. I feel lightheaded. Am I going to pass out too? No, this is a different feeling. I've never felt like this before. Oh my gosh, I care about this guy. When did that happen? <laughs> I study Jared and we walk into the nearby grocery store and I take him to the bathroom. And all the while I'm thinking about how I fell in love with my best friend. Just kind of snuck up on me. And at the end of the day, I realize... It's okay that he's not tall, dark, and handsome because he makes me laugh every single day. And that's more than I can ask for. So, thank you. I can make a difference. Uh, this is something that I heard when I was a kid. And being young, I never thought that someone as seemingly insignificant as I was that I can actually make a difference in people's lives. That the words that I said, the actions that I did actually would make a difference. I had a hard time just doing the dishes. Um, I was the kid that would pay my siblings, you know, five or ten dollars. You know, you got to get, you, you don't want to do the dishes. If you have some money, pay them and get them to do it. And so how could I, how could I make a difference in the world? Uh, and lo and behold, I had an experience that ended up being really difficult that ended up teaching me the very thing that my mom and dad would teach me. And that is that one person can make a difference. And that's what I learned. Uh, I grew up in Southern California, and in my transition from elementary to middle school, I noticed a big difference in the kind of language that people were using. I'll never forget the first day of middle school hearing the F word 50 times. Has anyone else had that experience in school, yeah. hearing the F word like it was the word the? And in elementary school, some of my kids that never said anything close to those kind of words um, started using the worst one. They just the F-bomb. Every other word was like the word the. And this really confused me. Uh, and uh, I was taught in my home that the words that you use are a reflection of your character and that they influence others as well. Uh, and so this, this was confusing to me. And so I tried to find a group of friends that, that weren't using language and I ended up having a really difficult time for several months uh, in middle school uh, finding friends. So I went to my mom and I was like, what am I supposed to do? I don't have any friends so I should probably just start swearing so I can just be friends with everyone and stuff. <laughs> Uh, and she's like, no, that's probably not a good idea. She said, you either just got to keep, you know, with the, with the group that I was currently in, they were uh, swearing a good amount. She's like, you either got to challenge them not to swear or find new friends. And so it took me several months to finally get enough courage to ask them not to swear around me because I finally found a group. They liked soccer. They were into music. They were kind of into everything that I was into. And so I didn't want to ruin it. Um, 
But one day in lunch, one of my friends finally swore again and just kind of came out. I was like, hey, you know, the words that you're using, they really kind of bother me. Bother me. Would you mind using something else, some other kind of words? And he paused for about five seconds. And of course, those pauses when you do something like that feel like an hour. Uh, and he said, yeah, I didn't even know it bothered you. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to watch the words that he used. No problem. Sigh of relief. I was like, this guy is a hero. Um, and fast forward, I mean, sort of a tangent, but kind of connected to it. He was uh, came down from California just about a month ago, and we hung out for about a week. And that's the kind of friendship we've developed since then and the kind of person he is. Um, but after that experience had happened, I started hanging out with that group of friends. Uh, and then fast forward two years later uh, in the eighth grade, a couple of my friends in that group came back to me and they said, hey, you know, McKay, I know you challenged us a couple of years not to swear. We actually have not only stopped swearing around you, we've stopped swearing in general. And I was like, oh, that's, that's super cool. And then in passing, he's like, you know, it'd be really funny is if we started like a no cussing club or something. I was like, yeah, that, that would be. Huh? That would be really funny if we did that. <laughs> and long story short, we went for it. We uh, made flyers and passed it out to our 50 of our friends, and we um, had our first official no cussing club meeting. <laughs> and what we did is we sat around for about an hour, and we just didn't cuss, and that's it. I'm just kidding. So. <laughs> no, we ended up talking about what we wanted to do and how we wanted to make a website and maybe not only try to reach people in our city, but reach people worldwide. Um, and so after creating the website um, and starting um, kind of our first official, official chapter of the club, um, we ended up getting people from all over the world that started signing up. Um, and one of the biggest ideas that someone in the club had was to create a cuss-free week. So we kind of imitated a red ribbon week, which is kind of drug awareness. And so we took that and we put it for language. So we had a whole week where we uh, encouraged people to be more civil and not swear. Um, and our city actually ended up giving us a proclamation for a cuss-free week. Um, and as we got there, uh, the, there was different news cameras that came in. And I was like, oh, I wonder, I wonder what these guys are here for. This is kind of interesting. And so our club received the proclamation on the way out. They tapped me. And they're like, hey, are you the one that you know, received the proclamation for your club? And I was like, yeah. They're like, we want to interview you. I'm like, okay, cool, man. Like, let's do this. I started no cussing club. I'll tell you about it. Yeah, I got you. Um, and so uh, he interviewed me, and uh, a lot of uh, other really neat experiences uh, happened throughout that. But yeah, we started off with 50 members, and then we ended up growing to 50,000 worldwide within three or four years due to Cuss Free Week, and then brought up the Dr. Phil show and uh, Tonight Show. And a lot of the reason why we even got on those shows was because there was a moment where we were receiving death threats and bomb threats and a lot of crazy adversity for starting a no cussing club. This is so funny to me. Now as I'm older, I was 14 and I'm 28 now, but as I look back even more, I'm like, really? Like, you were giving this kid death threats? For sure. It's really funny. <laughs> and so I learned in the midst of all this that, yes, that one person can make a difference. The words that we say truly do have an impact, not only on other people, but ourselves and even the world. And I'll leave it at that. Thank you. If you'd like to pitch your story for the podcast, or if you want more storytelling strategies, contact me at jenbanks16 at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at jenbankscoaching.